Uh, well, happy Easter, everybody. As we enter into this day, um, we're going to talk about how the unbelievable became believable. Because today, today as Christians, what we celebrate is the pinnacle day of our faith, right? Like, this is, this is the day that we gather. Because on Good Friday, a few days ago, right, we commemorated the death of Christ. We remembered what that means for us. But we gather today because we don't believe that death was the end of the story. Isn't that why we're here today? We don't think that death actually ended that story, which is a little unbelievable because death usually ends the story, right? Like, when you die, that's pretty much the end of your story. Like, there's not a lot more to write. But on Easter, we celebrate that Jesus Christ didn't have an end. That, that when we come together, we're not sad because we believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. That, that he died, but that he was resurrected. That following his death, he came back to life. That death could not hold him. We believe all of that. And it may seem today, if you're here today and you're checking out God, that might seem a little unbelievable to you. And some of you are here today, and you've grown up like that. You're like, yeah, no, that's, that is believable to me because I've, I've heard that story. In fact, you guys tell it every Easter, right? Like, we talk about it every Easter. Like, yeah, yeah, I got that. And yet, I think sometimes we miss important details of the story. We miss parts of the story that are so essential and so important that if we understood them, we would, instead of just saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is raised from the dead, we would go, wow. That really happened, and that means something. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. And here's why. So um, a few years ago, I got a phone call from a friend, uh, someone that I had grown up with, and uh, she called me and she said, hey, can I, can I talk to you about my faith? And I said, well, sure. And she said, so I don't know that I really believe in God anymore, but I need someone to talk about this with. And so we began to talk, and I asked her questions, and we had grown up together, um, in middle school at the same church, and uh, kind of the prevailing view, there was a lot of great people there, but the prevailing view was kind of, for us, felt very judgmental, you know? And so, so as she began to tell me her story and where she was at, I asked her some questions, you know, as we, we had gone through this conversation. And one of the questions I asked her was just this. I said, so if you were to describe Jesus, what do you think he's like? God's like. And uh, guess what she said? She said, I, I think he's distant. I think he's got a lot of roles that I'll never live up to. And I think he judges me a lot. And we, we talked a little more, and then I hung up the phone, and that's what I thought. I thought, here is this gal who, she never grew out of that middle school version of Jesus. She still has that same version. And it made me really grateful, and here's why. Because in college, I began to seek who Jesus really is. I began to say, who is Jesus really? And I began to read the Gospels. And I began to do research. And I began to check out who Jesus really was. And I became so convinced that he was who he said he was, that it changed everything for me. Because I said, well, if this is real, I have to live different. And I think it will change it for you too, if you really understand it. So this morning, whatever version of Jesus that you're coming with, maybe it's the boring Jesus, you know, I'd rather kind of kick back and lay my head on my mom's lap, 
kind of Jesus, or that's the kind of elementary school version, or maybe it's the middle school, high school, kind of judgmental, I don't know if I'm ever going to like really raise the standard, Jesus, or maybe it's the, I was in college and people told me that story wasn't even real, Jesus. Or maybe today you come and you don't even have a version of Jesus, you're just like, listen, I I didn't grow up in church. I don't really know much about Jesus. I don't even come today with a real understanding of Jesus. This is what I invite you to do today. Will you let go of whatever version of Jesus you have so that you can hear and understand the historical and accurate and real version of who Jesus is? The actual account of Jesus. That God in the flesh came and his, what his death and his resurrection, what all of those mean for our lives. Because if that is all true, the reason this is so important is that if it's all true, it has implications for your life because that means that it is nothing is impossible for God to do in your life. Nothing. Now, before we get started today, I just want to talk to some of you who grew up in church for a second, right? Like you, you might grow up in Sunday school, and you were told lots of stories about things in, that happened that seemed unbelievable, right? And probably some of you grew up in a, in a church that maybe, like, when you heard that, like, you, you were told, like, just believe it because it's in the Bible, right? Some of you remember this tune, like, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible, see, you guys sung that song, right? Or maybe you've heard the, the old saying, right? The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Okay, so here's what I want to say to you. I have a high regard for the Scripture. But I don't believe in Jesus' resurrection because the Bible says it. I believe in the resurrection because of the people who wrote the Bible who believed it. See, here's the deal. We, we have all these writings in Scripture. One of them is Matthew. Matthew writes this account of Jesus' life. And Matthew, when he writes it, like, he is an eyewitness. He saw it go down, and he recorded it. And Mark, Mark writes this great version of, what did he see when Jesus came to it? And, you know, it, it, it synchronizes with what Matthew wrote. It's, it's an eyewitness account. I believe it because Luke, who was, who was an eyewitness, but then went, he said, there's all these people asking questions, so I am going to research, because he was an educated man, so he says, I'm going to research everything out of this thing, and I'm going to record it. And then there was John, who was like the insider, right? Like he calls himself kind of Jesus' best friend. He's the insider. If anybody knows stuff about Jesus, it's John. He writes this account. I believe it because James, the half-brother of Jesus, believed it. Let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to be convinced by your brother that he was God? I mean, think about that for a second, right? Like that's... That's pretty big. James believed it. I believe it because Paul, who when he was alive, while Paul was living, he didn't believe anything that Jesus said. Paul persecuted and murdered people who said that Jesus was real while Jesus was alive. And he didn't believe it for himself until he saw the resurrected Christ. And then he was so convinced of it that he became a follower of Jesus, and he wrote about it. See, that's, that's a reason to believe it. See, the reason that we believe all of this stuff 
is because eyewitnesses saw. And they didn't just see it. They gave their life because they were so convinced of it. See, the stories in the Scripture, they're not written as fairy tales. They're not just myths. They're eyewitnesses' accounts of a real person who lived in real history. And the ending of the Gospels was surprising to the people who lived it. They didn't even think that it was going to happen that way. See, that's, that is the Scripture. It is a collection of eyewitness accounts of first century people who believe this stuff to be true. And the Easter story, when I talk about the Easter story, I tell you all that because I want you to understand that we are not just talking about a fable or a myth. We are talking about documented eyewitness accounts of history that since that time have changed millions of people's lives. So, let's get started talking about this Easter story. If you want to follow along, you can pull out this thing that looks like the scoop inside an outline. It has some of the scriptures, some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. But here's where I want to start. I want to start and give you a little context for the story of Jesus and walk us through the Easter story. So this starts pre-Roman Empire. Okay, if you're, if you're a Jew living in Palestine, you have lived under oppression for thousands of years. There have been some breaks in between empires, but the Babylonian Empire destroyed everything in Jerusalem, everything in your town, everything around you, exiled people. The Persian Empire came down hard, but they let you go back and rebuild some things. And then there was the Greek Empire. Everybody remembers Alexander the Great, right? He spread the Greek. The reason that we have our Western culture is out of the Greek culture that was spread by Alexander the Great, conquered this entire empire. And then, of course, came the Roman Empire. And we know about the Roman Empire because we've studied it in history, but also because even some of our government stuff is based on the Roman Empire, right? And the Roman Empire is for 200 years before Jesus comes on the planet, the Roman Empire rules and people are oppressed and people don't get just to do whatever they want religiously. And so Jesus comes on the scene. Now here's the problem. When Jesus comes on the scene... Guess who they're looking for? They're not looking for Jesus. They miss, lots of people miss Jesus when he comes on the scene. You know why? Because they're looking for a political leader. They're looking for someone who has come from the religious ranks. And guess where Jesus came from? He was raised by a carpenter. Carpenter. This is who Jesus is. He comes from this town that no one has respect for. And people start following him. And people start hearing him, and he begins this groundswell of movement around him. But it's not because he has this great teaching that everybody's like, wow, did you hear what he had to say? In fact, there are so many times that he says stuff and tells stories and asks questions, and even his own followers come to him afterwards and say, Jesus, nice talk. What the heck did it mean? I don't understand anything that you just said, and I'm pretty sure they didn't either. The reason that people follow him is because he does miracles. Because blind can see, the lame can walk. He is, raises people from the dead. He feeds crowds. It is miracle after miracle. And people go, wow, there's something real happening here. And they can't explain those miracles. And so they begin to follow him. Now the religious leaders, they're, they're super bugged by Jesus. And here's why. Because you see, they liked having their power. They had aligned their religious power and political authority, and they liked controlling people. And so 
people start following Jesus, and that feels kind of threatening. And so if you, if you read the Gospels, you will see this interwoven through all of those stories, this conflict with religious leaders over and over and over again. And a big part of this is what Jesus does, because when Jesus comes, here's what he does. He raises the standard for people. He says, you got, life is more than that. I'm raising the standard. And people far from God realize, and they already realize, but they realize, like, there is no way that standard is way too high. I'm going to need help if I'm going to ever have a relationship with God. But he raises the standard so high that even the religious leaders realize not even we can live up to that standard. We will need help. And so they eventually, you know, they go, we, we can't put up with this. And so there's this turning point. Here's a turning point. So Jesus raises someone from the dead. And when the, the rumors and the stories come back to these religious leaders of what Jesus did, they're like, something has to stop because people begin to follow Jesus in droves because he doesn't just raise anyone from the dead. He raises an influential, wealthy man from the dead and he doesn't just resuscitate him. This guy is dead for days in the tomb so much that people are like, Jesus, don't open the tomb. It is going to stink. It, the corpse has been in there way too long. Like This is not like, you know, poof. this is like, whoo, Right? And Jesus raises him from the dead, and it is indisputable. And so people start following Jesus in droves. Now, the Pharisees, one religious sect, the Sadducees, another, and the priests. All these religious sects, they can't agree on hardly anything. They all have different agendas and different theologies, and they fight about it all the time, but they can agree on this one thing. Jesus has to go. We cannot put up with his teaching or his miracles or his person any longer. And so, in the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' best friends, this is what he says he records was said about them, they said about Jesus, rather, at that time. John eleven forty eight. 48. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And then the Roman army will come and destroy our temple and our nation. So why would religious people not want people to believe in Jesus? Because if they believe in Jesus, Rome will side with him instead of us. And we'll lose our power. So John eleven fifty three. 53. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Now, this is where the Easter story gets really good, right? Because this, this is the part of the Easter story now that slows down. If you read the Gospels, there's all these stories you use, and all of a sudden it's like the story just kind of slows down. It's expanded, and there's lots of details. You know why? Because this is the part of the story that everybody wants to know about. Because when they hear about the resurrection of Christ, they go, wait, what? What? That, that really happened? And so there's all of these details about it. Everybody wants to know about it. So what's interesting is this about these Gospels being written that you should know. So the Gospels are written within 30 years of Jesus' resurrection. Now why is that interesting? Because they're, they're written by eyewitnesses. And guess how many eyewitnesses are still alive when you write it within 30 years? A lot, right? There was a lot of people who saw Jesus' ministry, witnessed his miracles, saw him in Jerusalem, 
watched him be crucified. There are a lot of eyewitnesses. And so when you're writing a story and you've got eyewitnesses around to either corroborate your story or to say, that's not true. That's just not true. So let me ask them, don't you think that if this wasn't real history, that those people who were alive in that day that were eyewitnesses would have said, this isn't real history. This is not real. Those stories are not true. Don't you think if it didn't happen, there would be plenty of eyewitnesses to discount it? To say, that's not true. Now, also think about this. So these guys that write the story, if, if they fabricated this story, wouldn't it make sense for them to write themselves in as like heroes? I mean, honestly, if you're writing a story about yourself, don't you, don't you make up a story and write yourself in as maybe a little bit more courageous person? Like, yeah, look, I kind of had my act together. Don't you put some spin on the story? Like, you all do this, right? When you tell, we, we call these fishing stories, right? Like, like you, know, you caught the fish that was this big. But when you tell the story, it's like this big, and it was awesome, and you fought with that fish forever. Like, when you shot that deer, when you, when you conquered that mountain, when you drove that thing, like, all of it. Like, we embellish all the time. But the truth is, when you read these stories, they read like real history. They were, these guys were very real. They were real scared, they were real insecure, and they were real concerned for themselves. And the truth is, the stories read like real history. They don't read like something someone made up. Now, maybe some of you, like me, like when I went to college, I was told like, yeah, this, that, that Jesus resurrection thing isn't real. Like that didn't really happen. I remember hearing that and beginning to research it. And you know what? You know what I realized? I realized like these guys were telling me, like, well, that's just a fable. That's just a myth. Now, if you know something about why this myth, because if you don't believe in the resurrection, here's why this eyewitness account stuff seems so impossible for you. Because you know, if you don't believe in the resurrection, that, well, to have this be true, you have to, you can't have eyewitnesses write this. You have to wait 80 to 100 years later to write something that's not true. Do you know why? Because guess who has to die off first? Yeah, all the eyewitnesses. You have to be able to create credible characters that are indisputable. No one could say that didn't really happen. They didn't really exist. And so you've got to expand, and it's got to be way out in front. Now, if you're writing this story, and if that were true, you would write credible characters into the story. You'd want it to feel like, I'm going to write people in this real legend. So... If that were true, then answer me this. When Mark writes about himself in the gospel story, and he writes about the disciples, why would you write this in? Mark chapter 14. Then all the disciples, this is when Jesus is arrested. Okay, So the authorities come to arrest Jesus. And this is what Mark writes. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Really? And then he writes, and this is about himself, Mark is writing about himself, one young man following, following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. And when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and he ran away naked. There's always one in the crowd who's a streaker, right? Always one who's like, woohoo, right? Like, 
Like, this is the reason you got to read your Bible. This stuff's really in here, right? This is, this is why it reads so true. Who writes this stuff about themselves if it's not real history? And this is what makes the Scripture so believable. Let's talk about Peter. So Peter is this guy that, like, after Jesus' resurrection, he's the dude, right? Like, he's the man. He's the guy that keeps the movement alive. Everybody's looking to Peter. But when Jesus is arrested and Peter shows up in the crowd around Jesus, this little girl comes up to Peter and says, Sir, weren't you with Jesus? And you know what Peter does? He denies it. He's like, no, no, I don't want to see Jesus. Like, dude, revoke your man card, right? Like, like this has to be real. This is who these guys really were. Jesus' funeral. Who shows up for Jesus' funeral? Nobody, because his disciples ran away. They think Rome won. They took off. They think Jesus is the loser. Now here's something about Jesus' burial that's important to note. So, Rome used crucifixion on the cross was a deterrent. right? The cross was not the symbol with this beautiful white Thing. This was not the cross then. The cross was a deterrent. The cross was something they, they publicly displayed a death that was so horrible that you would say, I do not want to defy Rome. And typically they would leave the body on the cross for days. And the birds would pick at it. And when it was done, there was not much left to bury. Now, in Jesus' case, he has an influential man who helps arrange his body to come down early. But he wants to keep it secret. He doesn't want anybody to know. And, and what's worse is a Pharisee, one of Jesus' enemies, one of the ones that have been against Jesus the whole time, secretly helps him. But he doesn't want anybody else to know either because he's a secret one. I mean, this is like Batman dies and Alfred won't even show up to his funeral, right? The Joker and the Penguin feel sorry for Batman and they arrange the funeral. Like, this is how bad it is. And everyone watching this whole thing go down, they're seeing this burial. You know what they're thinking? Where are his followers? Where did they go? Why aren't they here? They all ran away. If this is fiction, this is terrible fiction, right? This is the kind of stuff, like if, if you're making this up and you want to energize Jesus' followers, you want to energize the movement, this is not the story that you tell. This is a terrible story to do that. Get this, Jesus' enemies, the religious authorities that he's always in conflict with, they have more confidence in the movement than his own disciples do, his closest friends. And this, they, they, go, they go to the Roman authorities and say, listen, you created a problem. I won't tell you what it is. You took his body down. You let his body get down, and now we can't see it. And if, if this gets out, if, this, if, if, if his disciples come and they steal the body, you understand that this movement's way too powerful and it's going to get way out of hand. This is what they say in Matthew 27. So here's what they do. Matthew 27, Matthew says they go to these leaders and they say, 
So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. Pilate, Roman authorities, we request that you seal this tomb. You put the official Roman seal on it so it can't be broken. And this will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body. And then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be off. We much worse off than we were at first. So Pilate, the Roman guy that's in charge, he says, okay, take some Roman soldiers with you and secure the tomb. Now, when you, when you read this, like you, you have to understand. Like, if you're going to believe the resurrection isn't true, this is the only reasonable explanation that they would steal the body. This is the only thing that possibly could happen. You're going to side right with those religious stories. This is the only thing that makes sense. And yet, when you read the Gospels and you see his followers and you see where they're actually at, you go, there's no way. This is not even possible. Why would they want to steal the body of Jesus? Stealing his body would have felt way too risky for them. It would have felt dangerous, and it would have felt pointless. Now think about this. If you're not willing to die for Jesus while he's alive, you just run off and desert him. Why would you die for him when he's dead? Why would you risk that kind of thing now? See, they ran away. They were scared. I mean, if you were making this up as a fable, this would make no sense at all. Why die for a dead man whose death disproved everything that he asked you to believe while he was alive? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. I mean, this is no April Fool's joke. They were there at the cross. The cross was not this heroic event. It was horrific. It was terrible. You saw him bleed. You saw people like, you, you saw that kind of event, you never wanted to see it again. It was terrible. And they thought, this is what they thought. They thought, if they do it to Jesus, they'll do it to us. If Jesus could not save himself or would not save himself, then why would we perpetuate this whole thing? Because it seems like a lie to us. I mean, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. But now it's dead. Jesus said, the kingdom is eternal. Now he's dead. And all the stuff in the movement, all the stuff that they had been a part of, all of a sudden seemed unbelievable if Jesus couldn't stay alive to keep the movement alive, then why would you risk your life to keep what now seemed like a lie alive? See, the last thing they wanted to do was to steal the body. So let's sum up the scene at the tomb after Jesus is crucified and he's put in this tomb. Let's sum up the scene. There's a whole bunch of nervous religious leaders, nervous about what's going to happen here. There's a whole bunch of terrified disciples. They're not, they won't even be near the tomb. They don't want anything to do with it. They are scared to death. There's a whole bunch of despondent women who are weeping, and they know that they have lost someone important to them. And there's a whole bunch of confused Roman soldiers. You know why they're confused? Because when the temple guard, who is like Walmart security to them, shows up to arrest Jesus, all of his disciples run away. 
Why are we guarding the tomb of a dead man whose followers were afraid of the Walmart security? Why do we even need to be here? They're not showing up. See, on this first Easter, there's no countdown. There's, there's no celebration service. But thousands of years later, there are millions of people gathered around the world just like us to proclaim his death and resurrection is true. To say, I identify with the Jesus movement. I'm in, and it is changing my life, and it has changed other people's lives, and I will be a part of it for all eternity. And that is not because someone stole a body. That's not even because someone had good teaching or died on the cross. We're here because some of those despondent women, they showed up at the tomb to re-embalm the body of Jesus because two guys did it on a hurry in the Sabbath and everybody knows how guys do stuff in a hurry, right? Jesus' body might have been in there wrapped up in a carpet or something and shoved in the hole. Like, they showed up to do it right. And when they got there, they expected to find the body of Jesus to do the same, that Jesus would do the same thing as all of us. When you die, you stay dead. Except, they got there, and there was no body. And in fact, Jesus actually shows up to them and says, I'm alive, and they see it. And nobody expected the story to go this way. And we're here today. We're here today because of this. And on that first Easter, nobody was expecting nobody. That's the truth. That's why we're here. And these women see Jesus is alive, and within days, the guys who ran away, they meet Jesus on the road. They see him alive too. And then within days, not weeks, not months, not years, the same guys who ran away and are like frightened children who thought they're going to do it to us too are out on the streets of Jerusalem risking their lives, proclaiming Jesus is alive, that this is real. And out on the streets of Jerusalem, this is their message. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now say you're sorry and believe in him. This is the book of Acts. Thousands of people coming to follow Jesus because they believe. And you know why? Not because something Jesus taught. Because they were eyewitnesses. They saw Him die. And they saw Him live. That is why they came. And 20 years later, the Apostle Paul, remember the Apostle Paul? We talked about him at the beginning. Didn't believe a lick of what Jesus said when he was alive. 20 years later, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to a church in the city of Corinth. These words. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you now if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something else that was never true in the first place. I pass on to you the most important things that have been passed on to me, and here's the most important things that Paul restates for them. Here it is. Christ 
died for your sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture says. That means just as was prophesied earlier. And He was seen by Peter and then the twelve. I mean, you just come back to life and someone made up a story. He was seen by them. That's pretty cool. But get this. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. I mean, this is not like, yeah, hey, dude, I thought I saw Jesus too. I was out in the woods and I, you know, it's like the Sasquatch, right? Like, I thought I saw him going through and I saw Jesus' footprints, right? No, this is like 500 people. This is like three times this auditorium, right, of people see Jesus all at once, all collaborated. They all go, wow, that's pretty special. But that's not even the best part. Here's the best part. Then he's seen by James. Remember who James is? His brother. Can you imagine this, like Jesus shows up to James, who didn't believe him while he was alive at all, and James is like, uh, I got to sit down. Okay, first of all, Jesus, there's a whole lot of things I should apologize for that I said to you while you were alive, right? He says, I'm in. Like, I believe. I believe. Now, let me ask you something. Would you die for something that just wasn't even true? Would you die for one of your stories that you're like, made up this whole big story, and you just die for it if it wasn't true? Because... Every one of these guys we just mentioned were martyred because they were so convinced that Jesus was resurrected and they were so convinced that the tomb was empty and it changed everything for them and the unbelievable became believable to them. Now what does all this mean for you and for me? Because if Jesus' story is real history, if it actually happened, then it means something for you, and it means something for me. If he really offers forgiveness, if God is real and will hold you to account, if, if you can have a changed life, and you can have the kind of life that God dreams for you, an abundant life and a full life, and that Jesus offers it, and he's still alive and able to do that, and nothing is impossible for him, let me ask you, have you considered what would believing in him do in your life to change it. Sound unbelievable? We don't think so. As followers of Christ, we think it's pretty relevant. We think the, not just the event, but the fact that Jesus is alive and that we've experienced life change is pretty believable. And so today, we offer you a story. Because maybe you're here today and you're like, well, you don't know my story. You don't know you don't know the half of it. You don't know that Jesus could really change me, love me, restore me with God. You don't know what I think, what I do, what I don't care about, what I mock. So we offer you a story today as a story of hope because Jesus can change your life too. And this story is Jesse's story. It's about how Jesus didn't just change lives then, but is still changing lives now. Let's watch. I grew up in a home that had a significant amount of dysfunction. I had a lot of stepfathers who were 
verbally and physically abusive with my mom, and that left her broken enough that she returned that to me. Oftentimes, I felt unwanted and unloved and insecure, and I just never had a safe place to be able to process all of that. Having adults that I should have been able to trust speak so negatively into my identity left me with a broken confidence. I felt like I could never be good enough, I could never measure up, I had nothing to offer. Uh, and as my family dysfunction continued into my adulthood, I just kept stacking those lies about who I was on myself and I just lost sight of who I was in Christ. So a few years ago, I joined a group at Daybreak and it was actually during a really difficult season of my life. Um, my pappy passed away in January and he was like a father to me. And I ended up starting a new job, which was challenging and I had been out of work for most of that year. So it was tough. I felt like I had this heaviness on me that I just couldn't shake. But during that year, I encountered the truth of who God says that I am. And I began to uh, transform my identity. God transformed my identity. Um, and I became a beloved daughter of the King. I am enough. And I am so imperfectly complete because I belong to the living Christ. And it's only because I chose to lay myself down at his feet and allowed him to do the hard work that I'm able to stand so firmly in his truth today. His resurrection power has just brought my spirit to life. He's transformed me into someone who has this confidence in Christ and I, I have this new boldness and it's because the resurrected Christ has accepted me into his family and I can now live my life with purpose. So just over the last six months, God has given me a deeper understanding of his love for us and I'm able to see people as souls for the first time that he cares so deeply about. I've found myself in these new and exciting leadership roles at Daybreak that I never would have pictured for myself. It's pretty incredible. There's just so much richness and strength that God has brought out of this brokenness in my life. And as Jesus continues to come in and redeem those really painful parts, I get to see more of him pour out of me and into the lives of people that I get to serve. And he's still changing lives today. And he can change yours too, if you just let him. I mean, it's almost unbelievable what God has done in my life and he continues to do. Some of you identify with Jesse's story. You come today and you can celebrate because you have experienced that kind of life change. That God has changed your life in such a way that you go, it's almost unbelievable and you celebrate it today. But you know what else? Some of you are here today and you're just curious. You're like, hey, I came and I'm, I hear this story and it does sound like it might be true and I'm a little curious. That's okay. I just want to tell you, like, it's, it's worth coming back to church. It is worth investigating because Jesus is worth investigating. Some of you might be a little shocked today because you didn't come believing this stuff, but now you hear the story and you realize that you find yourself actually believing it to be true. And I want to tell you that is great. I want to encourage you to explore that further. 
Because from a distance, the story of Easter might seem a little unbelievable, but when you get close up and you hear the documents, you hear what actually happened, the documented history of it, it begins to seem real. When you hear the resurrection and the stories of the people afterwards, you begin to say, wow, and then you hear the stories of life change, you say, this has to be real. And the story that seems so unbelievable to you is now a little bit more believable to you. You know why? Here's why it's believable. Because it happened as a part of history. Not just general history, but Jesse's history. My history. Some of your history. And Jesus wants to write a new story in your life. And we don't believe this just because it's in the Bible. We believe it because Matthew experienced it and he was changed by it and he was, wit- he was an eyewitness of it. And so was Mark and so was Luke and so was John and so was James and so was Paul and so was so many other people. That's why we believe it. We believe it because I have seen it and you have seen it with your own eyes. You have seen people heal of anxiety or depression or so many other things. You have seen people experience the security of Christ and learn how to love others well because they've stepped into it. We believe it because we have witnessed that Christ's resurrection power is real and it can be real for you. So here's what I offer today. I just, I just want to pray. I want to offer you the opportunity to respond today in prayer. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? So as we stop to pray with our heads bowed, so what I want to do, I just want to invite some of you who might be curious to offer a simple prayer to Jesus about that. Here it is. Just offer this simple prayer. Jesus, I'm curious. That's it. That's all. Would you just pray that right in your heart, right where you are? Jesus, I'm curious. Now some of you have wandered off. You just kind of wandered off from God, but you know that today you hear this and you know you're back. So I just offer you this simple prayer. Jesus, I believe and I'm back. I'm back. Can you pray that? And some of you are surprised this morning in your own heart. Right now in this moment, you find yourself surprised because you do believe. And so I offer you this prayer to pray this morning in belief. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died. I believe that you were risen, that you are resurrected, and that you have been seen by others. I believe, and I am making a commitment to follow. And just pray that right in your heart. Jesus, I believe. Now, God, I pray that you would give us each the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. And you'd help us to experience the life change that you want for us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, in the next few minutes, we are going to celebrate a baptism. And a baptism is simply a public response to the belief that Christ is changing someone's life and their commitment to him. And so we're going to celebrate after that. If you're not from Daybreak, we, we hoot, we holler, we, we celebrate with someone after baptism because it's a big and it's an important moment. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here today, um, 
you're a guest, your first time here, you just fill out one of these cards. Just put your name and stuff on it. I promise I won't stalk you. But I would love to follow up with you. I'd love to help you on your journey. Some of you, some of you have prayed one of those prayers today. And there's just three simple responses down there based on the prayer that you prayed. I'm curious. I'm back. Or I believe. Would you just check that off today? Put your name on there. Check that off. And I just want to help you on your journey. I just want to help you take the next steps on your journey. And so if you'll fill that out today and you put it in there, I'll help you take the next step. I promise. Just take a minute. Respond. And you can worship with us. And then we're going to do some baptism together.